one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Bellerín, otro defensor, otro disparo, Monreal, gol. Marca el futbolista español, marca Nacho Monreal. Pim, pam, pum. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra. As always with James from Gunner Blog. James, goodly afternoon to you. Goodly afternoon to you too. Is it a goodly afternoon over your side of the, of the sea? Yeah. It is. It's a little bit duller than it has been, but uh, still very warm. I'm enjoying the warm weather. I can't have the window open because we still have issues with uh, builders and stuff going on. And with the greatest of respect to people in that profession, I'm sure there are some who are listening to this podcast right now who are Arsenal fans. I'm sure you're good people, but there are some people in your profession who are, let me just say, very trying indeed. Very, very, (laughs) very trying indeed. Indeed. I think that's very measured of you in the circumstances. I mean, trying, you know, you you could have used worse words, I'm sure. I could have, or I could have just screamed into the microphone for about two minutes nonstop. Just screamed. (laughs) I don't mean words. I don't mean ranting. Just literally screaming until I couldn't scream anymore. But there, there you go. Apart from that, everything's been all right. At least it doesn't come at significant monetary expense or anything like that. You know, that would make it a a whole lot worse, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> anyway, look, leave, we'll leave my troubles aside because you must be very happy. You must be very excited. I saw some pictures on your Instagram. You know, you look like you're getting into the swing of things over there, James, because football is indeed closer to coming home. Yeah, it does appear to be coming home. I'm not sure exactly where it is between Moscow and England now, the football. I imagine it's probably somewhere around Germany, somewhere like that, you know, <laughs> on its trajectory. I'm trying to think of it on a map, but I very much into it. I've bought into the whole thing. Uh, I've fallen in love with Harry Maguire and Jordan Pickford. Uh, it's strange <laughs> and it's surreal as an England fan to be feeling positive, yeah. but it's nice. I mean, I, if I'm absolutely honest with you, I sort of, I sort of, I expect it to to end in glorious failure imminently. Well, look, yeah. Yeah, you know, but it's England. I mean, I'm enjoying the ride while I can. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, it's interesting watching it from over here because we're having all these debates uh, in Ireland. Well, people are talking about fucking England, England. Mm. No way can we get behind England. Absolutely not. There are oppressors for 800 years. How could we get behind them? And you know, from a, a sporting level, um, I won't say England are like my Tottenham, but sure. You know, there, there is that sort of element too. Like all my English friends, you and, I, you know, all the guys I know through Arsblog, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I'd love for you guys to be happy. But at the same time, you know, 
you know, it's just been so ingrained in me over the years that when it comes to particularly football with England, actually rugby as well, I think, but you, you kind of want England to lose. Um, yeah. And you've been very obliging in that regard, it has to be said, for a, long, for a long, long time. But it's also hard not to get caught up with the excitement of it. And, uh, you know, I think there's something a little bit funny about people talking uh, over here in particular about how they don't want England to win the World Cup while they every week will support their English team, you know, whether it's Arsenal or Manchester United or Liverpool or whatever. So, um, yeah, you know, a bit paradoxical, but yeah. I, I suppose, I mean, I saw some pictures actually over the, the weekend when we played Sweden. I think it was a picture of an Irish pub that was like all decorated in Swedish flags. Oh, really? uh, <laughs> but I mean, I do understand that, of course, you know, culturally and historically and all those things. I, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't expect, you know, Irish fans or indeed, uh, I suppose, Scottish or Welsh fans, any of our, any of our neighbouring nations to be uh, supporting yeah, us. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a know, rivalry, yeah. It, that's part of it. Exactly, it's, it's a rivalry. But I mean, I think this is a... It's tricky, actually, because I think if you can set aside the Tottenham thing, which is a big thing to set aside, yeah, this yeah. is probably a more... Uh, a less dislikable group of players than the ones we've had in the recent past, I, yeah. I would argue. Yeah. What's going on in the background there? It sounds like... Hang on, let me take my headphones off. I can't tell. Probably a child... Is it a child screaming? It was a child screaming. Have you uh, forgotten to lock the door of the dungeon? <laughs> That's the one I just keep out in the garden. <laughs> no, I uh, I don't know. There's a park over there. I had the window open because it's still... Yeah. It's cooler, but it's still... Warm, warm, very warm in London. Yeah, yeah. But I shut it now. I'll, that's those that child screams will invade the podcast and your nightmares no more. Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, I've had to close my window because they're about to start drilling through something that they should have done a week ago. Uh, so the sound of that can mask the sound of my tears. Uh, <laughs> as, we're all as, suffering. We're all suffering we're all, and sweating. Exactly. We're all suffering. But, you know, the part of it as well, I think, uh, will it not make it all the more sweet if England win the World Cup? And you know that you can then say to all the Scottish and the Irish and the Welsh and all those people who are perhaps rooting against England, that, that makes it sweeter, doesn't it? When you win, if you win. So. I'm, not, yeah. I'm not trying to jinx it here, I promise. No. <laughs> But when England win the World Cup, no joke. What do you actually think as a neutral? Because, you know, I'm Mm. obviously getting swept away and carried away with it all. What do you actually think of England's chances at this point? In the semi-final, they've got Croatia to play and then France and Belgium in the other semi. I mean, do you think it's open? Do you think they're an outsider? What do you make of it? I think it's they've got a a pretty good chance of winning the World Cup. Genuinely. (sighs) You know, just watching the games, they're very effective from set pieces. Mm. Um, I mean, there is the, 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 the thing that nags me, I suppose, is or would nag me if I was an England supporter is the quality of the opposition that you faced of course. until now. Now, I completely get you can only beat what's in front of you. Uh, and England have done that pretty well for the most part. You know, they do look an effective side. Uh, the set piece thing is really... Um, difficult i suppose for for opposition to to deal with you're at a semi final you're playing croatia who might be or may have been perhaps slight favorites without going 120 minutes the other night you know mm. so i think that's a bit of an advantage too england had a fairly comfortable i won't say a stroll against sweden but it was 90 minutes it was one inside 90 minutes croatia really had to dig deep uh to to win against russia and that's their second 
uh, game in extra time, isn't it? I think it, you might be right. Yeah. I don't know. Who did they play in the round before? Was it... I forget now. I know. We for, you, we've forgotten with all the excitement. Too many uh, games. I'm yeah. going to try and find out. I mean, my concern about Croatia is that they... Denmark. Denmark. They went to penalties against Denmark. Right. There you go. You know? So my concern with Croatia is that they have, I think, maybe the best kind of central midfield in the tournament. Mm. And England sort of don't really have a midfield. They kind of play this really odd system with Henderson sitting and then Ali and Lingard running all over the place. But I just worry that Rakitic and Modric might control the game. Maybe. They're top players. Maybe. So they are, of course. Yeah, but, you know, when you get to this stage of a competition uh, and you're confident, and I think there's something intangible about what's going on with England that you can sense the players are confident they believe in what they're doing they believe in the system that Gareth Southgate has got them playing whether it stands up to a tougher test against better better attacking players you know if they do get beyond Croatia if you face Hazard Lukaku De Bruyne uh, and then you're going to face for example Griezmann Mbappe uh, Giroud, you know, I think that's much more of a test for that defence than anything yeah. they will have faced uh, in the tournament to that point. But, you know, why the hell not? And I can really understand why everyone's having a having a great time and enjoying it because um, it's the fucking World Cup and you're in the semi-final and that's something to be really um, excited and enthused about. So, I mean, are you, are you just sort of doing the Arsenal thing of, oh, well, it'll probably end in failure just so you set yourself up for it? Is that kind kind of it? Or or what do you actually think? Do you think England can, A, get to the World Cup final and then beat whoever it is that comes out of the other other semi? I actually think they can. I think they can do it. And I think that, you know, you mentioned the set pieces. I do think that's a huge advantage. They're incredibly dangerous in those situations. And the delivery has been so consistently good all through the tournament. It's amazing. You know, you watch the Premier League and how often do you see a corner not beat the first man or just get headed away? England seem to be really, really sharp on those situations. Yeah. Um, I think they can do it, but I make them probably the outsiders at this point. Of the four teams left, I think maybe the other three have got a better chance. The other semis, certainly the stronger in my eyes. Yeah. I just think as good as Croatia have been, you know, you list some of the stars there, your Hazards, your Mbappes, you feel like in these in these crunch fixtures, they might be the ones who, who come through. Yeah, yeah. But look, you never know what can happen. Uh, football is weird, isn't it? You know, you could play against Croatia. They could have a man sent off in the first 10 minutes True. and you stroll through, you know, uh, one of the winners of uh, or whoever wins the other game. Someone gets suspended. A key player gets injured, something like that. You know, I, it feels a little bit like the... Um, the sun is shining on England in this tournament. You know, the mm. the draw has been pretty favourable uh, throughout, you know, so things like that can help you get to a tournament. I mean, uh, get to a final. You remember when we faced, um, when we faced, uh, who was it in the, the semi-final? Wigan and then Hall in the, in the to get to the FA Cup final. And that was pretty favourable. It didn't in any way make our win our winning the FA Cup any less in my opinion certainly not any less enjoyable other people might want to say well you only beat you know Wigan and Hull so fucking why it's not about who you beat it's about what comes at the end of it and if you've got the trophy at the end of it it really does not matter who you beat um, so you know I think uh, I think England have got a real chance it, it, this World Cup campaign for England has at times reminded me a little bit of that uh, Premier League campaign where Leicester won the league, you know, because so many 
big teams who more was expected of fell away and mm. a kind of well-organised side managed to uh, sustain pressure from elsewhere and, and go on and do it. And I don't know, I uh, and England aren't quite as big of an underdogs as Leicester were in that situation, but I would uh, I'd, I'd be delighted to see it happen. I mean, if you think back to the last World Cup semi-final, that was 1990 that England had, and people still talk about it today. It's become absolutely iconic as part of football folklore. To, so to be experiencing yeah. something like that now, you know, if I feel... Very fortunate and yeah. very excited. And look, it's happening, you know, in a, in a good summer where the sun is shining and that makes a difference too. And you can have all these outdoor events and people can come together. And there's something, uh, there's something I think about, you know, the the the, uh, the political situation in England over the last couple of years has been fairly. What's the word I'm going to use here? Um, divisive, <laughs> I think, is the word. It's been fractious, you know, and we have. Yeah. Uh, we have something here, I suppose, that in many ways is bringing people together. And that's a good thing. You can hear, listen to this fucking shit. Motherfucking drillers. Anyway, um, you know, <laughs> no, I and think I think that's... Right. I think you're yeah. right. I think it has been, to borrow your word from earlier, trying at times mm, in England in the yeah. last couple of years. And I think that, uh, you know, even people who aren't that into football, you know, uh, seem to be really on the bandwagon now. And uh, it is an excuse for people to come together, to celebrate, to have a good time. And I think between now and Wednesday night, that's just going to ramp up and ramp up. And I can't imagine what the country will be like if they can pull it off on Wednesday. I mean, I just think people just stop going to work presumably <laughs> I don't know everyone's on the piss from like Wednesday night onwards there's nothing happening in England it's closed down because I mean the, the World Cup final a World Cup final the whole place would be at a an absolute standstill on, my, uh, on Sunday evening my brother's getting married on Saturday so uh, up north so I'm going up there on the Saturday and he has promised that if England gets the World Cup final he's going to revise everything and make it a World Cup themed wedding <laughs> so uh, I don't know how that's going to play out and what his wife will think about that. I'm sure but, she's uh, delighted about that. Yeah, he's yeah. going to just turn up at the church, full kit wanker. Absolutely. Well, he, he could have the Southgate look, to be fair. He'd look quite dapper, I suppose. Oh, yeah, that is true. That the is waistcoat. true. Yeah, the waistcoat thing. Yeah, uh, the iconic the Gareth Southgate waistcoat. Um, sure. Yeah, I, I mean, to me, I'm sorry, you know, shouldn't just wear a waistcoat. you got to wear the jacket as well, but hey. Uh, who am I to uh, to uh, pass artorial? Um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, judgment. judgment, judgment, even. That's right. it. Yeah. On, well, you're on more qualified than me, as as we know. But you know. Yeah, well, that um, is true. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the World Cup generally, I mean, has been fantastic, and obviously, as an England fan, I've got a, a vested interest. But I do think, irrespective of that, I remember on the eve of the tournament, us talking about it with some trepidation and maybe being a bit less enthused about it than we have been about previous tournaments. But uh, my expectations have been enormously surpassed by pretty much every aspect. Yeah, it has been dramatic. And, you know, you've seen the big teams go home, Germany out, Spain out, Brazil out, and, you know, in the quarterfinal, people expected a lot more from from Brazil, I think. Mm. Um, yeah, it has been. And, you know, for the, the four teams that are left in it, you know, who you would say would have been not outsiders, outsiders, but not one of the the, the really tipped favourites, were they? Belgium, 
because they've uh, got this incredible lineup of players. Uh, I remember talking to a couple of Belgian guys when we were over in Madrid uh, for the Atletico Madrid game. We were talking to them in a bar and they were saying, yeah, you know, we've got good players, but we can never manage to do it in the tournaments. And there was an expectation that despite the quality of players they had, they would just Belgium their way through the tournament. But here yeah. they are. France can be fantastic or France can, you know, implode as we've seen in the past. England... You know, realistically, I don't think anybody expected it, did they? You hope for it. I mean, the it's coming home thing started ironically, and mm-hmm. now it's been co-opted because you know it's actually happening. It was uh, it was uh, self-deprecating in a way, mm-hmm. and now here we are. And Croatia, you know, good team, perhaps dark horses for some people, but you know, none of none of the big boys are there. And for whichever country wins it, it's going to be absolutely huge, and it will perhaps be the the finale to what has been a really excellent football tournament. I think. Yeah, and obviously France, they had success in 98. I mean, I know that's... Yeah. But that's a long... Any of the other three nations, it would just be absolutely massive because, you know, there's so little recent precedent. So yeah. it, it, it promises to be an exciting week anyway. So look, Uruguay going out of the World Cup means that we can sign Lucas Torreira. We're mm. recording this on Monday afternoon. Uh, we're waiting for the signing to be announced, basically, because... Uh, that's what the uh, that's what the word is is that mm. uh, you know he's gonna he's gonna join and that will apparently that will be the end of our senior recruitment although we are bringing in a young uh, French midfielder called Matteo. Uh, Gwenduzi, yeah, Matteo Gwenduzi. I have a, an interesting. It's not a question here, but a little bit of a information from Morphic Fields on Twitter at Morphic Fields, and he says it's not a question, just a comment on our new lad Gwenduzi. He says, "I uh, hope they pronounce it properly, as here in China it sounds very much like Gunduzi, Gwenduzi, which means piss off, you bastard." for want of a better translation. Uh, I'm taking that to be absolutely true. So, uh, Matteo Guenduzzi, piss off, you bastard. Uh, He'll be arriving as well. But uh, that is going to be the end of our our senior recruitment. What do you make of that? We can talk about what what else might happen because there might be other things happening. But as it stands, do you feel like the transfer business we've done has covered all the bases this summer? It's difficult to assess, I think, because we don't yet know how Unai Emery intends to set up his team. For uh, for example, one one position that I feel might be missing from the recruitment is a, a wide player, yeah. know, a winger. However, maybe maybe Emery doesn't intend to play with wingers. Maybe he's thinking about something like a diamond midfield that we know Torreira can operate in, and then you'd go with two front men and not have an orthodox winger. So I find it hard to to judge if we've if we've done the necessary work until I see the way the team's set up. But you wouldn't think they would call it a day if Emery was like, Well, I definitely need wingers. You know, this suggests he's happy with what he's got as well. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Uh there is, you know, the 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 elephant in the room when it comes to our midfield, which remains Aaron Ramsey and his yeah. his contractual situation, which we talked at at length last week uh, on the podcast. There doesn't appear to be any change in that situation with regards uh, an extension for him. Uh, at what point do you feel like the club have got to make a decision on this? Well, where are we now? We're July the 9th. So I think we're exactly a month away from the transfer deadline. Uh, I mean, you'd... 
you'd have to think we're in a matter of days at this point. I would, I'd like to think they need to make a decision at the latest in the next fortnight because that gives them two weeks to sort out the situation by potentially selling Ramsey and bringing in a replacement. I mean, that is the big caveat on the word that our transfer business is done. Yeah. If somebody leaves, that could change everything, right? Absolutely. And if somebody like Aaron Ramsey leaves, then you have to replace that quality with another player of at least um, similar caliber if you can mm. find that player in the transfer market. I don't think you could lose Aaron Ramsey from our current midfield and expect the players who are there to be able to fill that gap. No, I mean, I don't know if these players would be classed in, in Ramsey's calibre, but it, it has been interesting to me that all the while the Torreira deal has essentially been done while he's been at the World Cup, there have been links from Spain about players like Eva Benega, Steven and Zonzi. And you do wonder if some of that is contingency. You know, I know they're very different players, but just in, in pure numbers terms, maybe there's a been a school of thought of, well, we have to have a plan if Ramsey goes and maybe there are players you might figure on that list. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's true. That could be why we're being linked to them. It could be why there is such speculation over Ramsey's future as well. So, yeah, I, I, I think it is. We're very much in sell before we buy again territory because yeah. on top of what we spent this summer we also uh, spent £55 million or £60 million on Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang in, uh, in January as well. So that's, that's a, lot of, a lot of spending in a six-month period. It's £120 million, more or less, when you add up what we've got. Now, I know we're not paying it all in the one go, and the Torreira deal, for example, is going to be paid over three years, uh, three instalments to, to pay off that transfer fee. Um, but before we buy any more players, I think, A, we're going to have to sell, but B, we're also going to have to let some players go because it is a pretty big squad now when you look at it on the Arsenal website. You know, yeah, they've, I'm doing that now. Yeah, it they, looks hefty, yeah, doesn't it? It does look hefty. You know, there's there's um, four goalkeepers listed, Lino, Czech, uh, Ospina and Emi Martinez in defence. Bellerin, Socrates, Koscielny, Lichtsteiner, Holding, Monreal, Mustafi, Chambers, Jenkinson's in there. Uh, Mavropanos, Kolasinac, midfield. Elneny, Mkhitaryan, Ramsey, Ozil, Maitland-Niles, uh, the Jeff and Granit Xhaka. And in forwards, we have Joel Campbell, who doesn't have a squad number. Takuma Asano, who is uh, going to spend an, uh, another season on loan in Germany. Lacazette, Aubameyang, Iwobi, Welbeck, Lucas Perez, Chuba Akpom. You know, you could pair off quite a number of players from that squad. So Joel Campbell, I suspect, will go. Lucas Perez, maybe he could stay. Maybe it'll depend on what happens with Danny Welbeck, another player who's only in uh, uh, got twelve months left on his contract into the final twelve months. So if the if the if the sell now or wait situation uh, applies to Aaron Ramsey, it's got to apply to Welbeck as well. Yeah, and if Welbeck was thinking, well, I'll wait and decide my future after the World Cup, he's now going to be there, irrespective of whether England go through to the final or not, because of the third, fourth playoff, he'll be there till the end. He'll be back late to training. That might delay things with him. So we might be waiting to find out the, the futures of Welbeck and Paris for some time. I suspect they are linked. Uh, it feels like there's room for one of them in the squad, but perhaps not both. Mm. But just, you know, rattling through that squad, you can list a number of names immediately. I mean... Aspina, Jenkinson, you know, uh, Campbell. Campbell. He's got, yeah, they've got to be... Akpom. Akpom, you'd think as well. These guys have got to got to go, really, just to trim 
trim the size of the squad. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think you could you could get get rid of Emmy Martinez as well. Yeah, you know, if we are going to have uh, Lino and Czech who are going to be there as the two senior keepers, Martinez is now. I think he's. You know, I don't think he's a bad goalkeeper or anything, but he's twenty six. Maybe. Yeah, he'll be 26 in September. He's played maybe 40, 50 games in his entire career at 26. So I think we're we're looking at somebody who may, who probably, for his own sake, needs to go somewhere. If, you know, he wants to have a good career, he needs to go somewhere and play regularly. And I don't think he's going to do that. Unless he's happy to be a sort of Spanish Stuart Taylor kind of figure, then fine. But maybe the right way to go is to move him on, let one of the young goalkeepers at the club have a chance at first team action, whether it's in the Capital One Cup or whatever the fuck it's called now, you know, to try and and, um, make a path to the first team for... A young guy from the academy. I do wonder as well, and I, you know, this could be me being hopelessly optimistic. I wonder if the reluctance to buy a winger has anything to do with Reese Nelson. I suspect it does. I mean, we haven't heard anything yet about Nelson's contractual situation, though, have we? No, no, that's that's one which uh, was supposed to have been signed a while ago, and there hasn't been an official announcement anyway. So, yeah, we could be. We could be in a situation where unless we can say to a young talent like Reese Nelson, there is a way for you to get first-team football at Arsenal, then we're going to lose him because he won't sign and he can go somewhere else. So. Yeah, maybe that's part of that bargaining process, you know, saying we're not going to bring in somebody directly above you to take your place in the squad effectively. I mean, players will go over the next few weeks and I imagine yeah. it's going to be pretty chaotic because obviously the the window finishes earlier than ever uh, so there's going to be a real scramble and and I mean how do you feel about the fact that we ostensibly have done the majority of our incoming business I mean that is a, a nice satisfying feeling is it not to, to not be fearing a, a last minute trolley dash yeah I think it's been uh, to the club's credit the way they've operated this summer to get these deals done particularly in a World Cup summer they knew that the transfer window uh, was going to be, what's the word we keep using? Truncated. Truncated. Yeah, it's a truncated transfer window. So they knew that and they've acted accordingly and done their business uh, pretty efficiently. So I think they deserve credit for that. At the same time, though, I do have some reservations about the players that we've brought in, some of them. I think it's great that we've done the business early. I think a couple of the players that we've brought in have to prove that they're capable of getting us to where we want to get to, you know? So mm. I I think Licksteiner is a bit of a gamble. He's, a, he's, you know, we can talk about his character and we can talk about why we've brought him in and all that kind of stuff. He's a winner and he's been there and he's done that and all that kind of stuff. I get it. But he's also 34 years of age coming to play in the Premier League, which is yep. the quickest league around. Socrates... Uh, has been good at Dortmund, but was pretty poor last season. Again, was it down to just a poor Dortmund side, or is he a player now hitting thirty and you know on the on the the slope downwards in terms of his career? We don't know. Uh, there were some question marks over the goalkeeper because of his performances in Germany. The optimistic side of me says he could do better at Arsenal. He can be coached better. We can get those things out of his game. You know, but maybe it's also reflective of where we are as a club in terms of the 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 kind of players we can bring in and the caliber of the players we can bring in. Mm. So, you know, I'm I'm 
I'm really pleased and I'm excited, I'm enthused, but at the same time, I'm not jumping through any hoops about the transfer business that we've done to this point. I mean, the, the name you didn't mention there, the one that's not quite over the line is Torreira. Yeah. And having having watched him at the World Cup, are you feeling pretty positive yeah. about his arrival? Yeah, I like, I like him from a profile point of view. He's the kind of signing I think we expected, right? When yeah. Mislintat was brought in, this is the kind of player that we might go after. Uh, young, you know, getting into the peak years of his career, perhaps not uh, somebody in in the spotlight, uh, and that he ticks all those boxes. So again, we'll wait and see how he goes, but I am excited about him. He did look good at the World Cup. Um, I, you know, there is going to be a period of adaptation for him, but he's the one, I suppose, that I would be most excited about in terms of the, the players that we brought in. The others, you know, there's a touch too much Dortmund, uh, you know, with, with what's been going on. I'm not saying they're unimaginative, but they're probably safe, uh, functional signings rather than exciting signings is what I think I said in, in the blog today. So, yeah, maybe it's a case that we have to take a step forward before we can sign the kind of players who really, really put bums on seats. Again, though, with the caveat that we brought in Obama Yang in January, and that's a fucking exciting signing. So Yeah, and Henrik Mkhitaryan as well, I think, has to be considered yeah. uh, an exciting signing too. And, and do you think this pronouncement that we are, you know, in theory, done for the summer means that no no major first-team players will be making a surprise departure. So I'm thinking of people like Skodran Mustafi or, or Nacho Monreal who have been linked with possible moves. Do you think the intention is to keep to keep those guys now? I would imagine so. Yeah, yeah. But, you, you know, the dynamics of transfers aren't dependent on one club, as we know. So what a player wants and what another club wants. I mean, if somebody came to Arsenal and said, we'll give you X amount for Mustafi, and that was deemed acceptable to Arsenal, then that changes things. So what our intentions are and what the intentions uh, of other clubs are, they have an effect as well. But I do feel like, yeah, it will be down to what comes our way now. But we've gone and done what we wanted to do in the transfer market. After that, we react with the market, which is normal. That's the way the transfer market operates. Yeah, I, I would I would be intend to agree with that. I think the squad will be trimmed, but I think if you know what we have, we hold for now. I do just think Ramsey is the big, you know, the elephant in the room, as we said last time, and that's mm. what will the drama over the next few weeks will probably surround that more than anything else. Yeah, yeah, I, I think once the World Cup is over, and if nothing is done, then that becomes a story. You know, it's not really a story anymore because, or at the moment, because. So much focus is on what's happening at the World Cup, and rightly mm. so. There's uh, so much excitement and uh, and everything else about that. But you know, the the back pages need to be filled once the tournament is over as well. And Ramsey's situation, you know, we've been here, we've been here before, we've been here before, and it is a distraction if you keep a player in the final year of his contract. Uh, question marks get asked of him. You put yourself in a position where you can't bargain you're not bargaining with a player like that. You're over a barrel, you mm. know? So that that's the that's the difficult thing and that's the difficult decision that Arsenal are going to have to make in the coming weeks. And, and also, I mean, it does seem that there might be quite a big kind of transfer merry-go-round in action in Europe. You know, if Ronaldo moves, there'll be a knock-on effect in that. And I do think some big deals are going to go down between the end of the World Cup and the transfer deadline and maybe Ramsey will be part of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, anything else Arsenal-related that's caught your eye in the last week or so? 
Uh, I'm trying to think now. Not not particularly. I mean, obviously the players have come back to training, and there's been a lot of uh, how shall I put it? A lot of fuss made about the training pictures. You know, everything seems to be <laughs> shown in a new light, doesn't it? Look at them! Uh, Look at them! They've got footballs. Wow! I know. <laughs> wow! Yeah, they're allowed to drink water. You know, it's it's a whole new world at London Colney. It really Steve is. Steve Bolt's smiling. Yeah, he never smiled once in his life before. Even when we won the league at uh, at Anfield, yeah, he didn't smile. He was completely stony. He, yeah, the birth of, the birth of all his children, he did not smile. Not once. No. Not once. <laughs> and he and Unai are best buds forever now. Uh, no, I, I have found that fascinating. But I, I, I mean, just speaking subjectively, really, just speaking as a fan, it is refreshing and exciting to see new faces on the training ground and to be looking forward to the season with a real sense of anticipation and yeah. not knowing what to expect. Yeah, I mean, that, this is it. We go, we've got questions about what's our what's our starting 11 going to be for Man City. Uh, I've seen a lot of questions like that today, but it's like, I don't know. Mm. I just don't know. And that's kind of refreshing in itself. The fact that we don't know things, that we are going to learn about Unai Emery, about his methods, about his approach, the way he deals with, with situations, you know... Uh, Arsene Wenger, we knew everything, everything about him, the way he operated in the transfer market, the way he would react to certain questions. You know, what happened when your guy got sent off? I didn't see it. You know, it's they became so part of the fabric of our Arsenal experience that just not knowing what he's going to do when, let's say, one of our players puts in a terrible tackle and gets sent off, what's he going to do? Is he going to say he didn't see it? Or is he going to say... Well, that was an, uh, that was unacceptable. We're going to have a, a chat with him about that. You know, what 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 way is he going to react to all the various situations that present themselves during football matches, during a season, dealing with players? You know, all of that I think is fascinating. You know, and for us and um, for 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 me in particular, I think when you write about Arsenal every day, to to have that in front of you is really exciting. Because it's great to learn new things and it's great to to experience new things. And I think the, there is an enthusiasm around uh, the club right now and what it's doing and the way it's doing things that hasn't been there for, for a while. You know, there's, yeah. there's, there's, there's more togetherness, I think. Um, you know, if you talked about England uh, being slightly fractious and divided over the last number of years, Arsenal has been fractious and divided for quite a number of years as well. And now we have a situation where, of course, people are going to differ, uh, have different opinions about things and they're going to think this guy's good or that guy's good or the manager's crap or he's great or whatever. But it's going to take a while to get to where we were. I think you're right. I think there are parallels in those situations. And I also think that excitement and that buzz must reach the players in some capacity and they must feel it too. Just to be going to work in a fresh environment, new challenges, uh, new training drills, whatever it might be, just things that have just shifted their focus, shifted their attention, that could be enormously successful. I mean, by way of example, think of the impact it had when we switched under Arsene to three at the back. Just yeah. something different yeah. really lifted the whole team. So a whole new management team, uh, a whole new system in place, who knows what that could do. So it definitely is exciting. Mm. All right, well, cool. Uh, still no announcement of the uh, signing of Lucas Torreira. 
So I think Arsenal are basically waiting for us to finish this podcast before they do that. Nice of them to, to do that for once rather than interrupting it halfway through with some big news. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, they'll just uh, announce the signing of a completely different player now just to, <laughs> just to fuck with us. But anyway, look, we'll leave it there for part one. We'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter, at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. Uh, I'll start. This question comes from Arse and Nose. Arse underscore N underscore Nose. And he wants to know very simply, how come half of Arsenal Twitter claim to know Terreira's dad on a personal level? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. But I mean, it, I am continually impressed by the resourcefulness of our fan base. I mean, someone, I saw a tweet yesterday saying, this is probably the flight that Torreira is on. It lands at 6pm or whatever it was. Yeah, uh, this is uh, this is um, the arsenic guy, right? Yeah, I believe so. Where, I, I don't, where, I don't wh- know the guy. No, but. neither do I. But like, it's like, this is the flight he's on. This is the train he's going to take. This is what he had for breakfast. It's an an astonishing amount of investigative bollocks. Yeah, but it's sort of, I don't mean to say that the information is bollocks, but it's like, how, why, why, why? That's kind of where I'm, I'm going with this. I mean, everybody's mad for the info. Didn't all the Liverpool fans go crazy over a plane? Or was that one of our signings as well? Where I everybody was did it as well, yeah. I can't remember who it was. Was it Van Dyke, maybe? Just everyone, Something. yeah. People sitting watching fucking flight radar on their phone, you know, on the vague hope that this guy might be on this. There's a private plane coming to land at Stansted Airport and it took off at half past nine from Moscow. And this could be, you know, it's it's uh, it's mad. It I is think this mad. arsenic guy is going to get headhunted by MI6 or something like that. Yeah. Um, he, I mean, he deserves it. I mean, look, it's a, it's a far cry from just flicking on teletext and finding out we bought somebody. But, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, no, no I'm, I don't mean to uh, denigrate what uh, 
what information he has because I think it's very different from somebody who just makes shit up. I mean, I think that could be the answer to the question about how many people know his dad. It's because they're liars and they're mentalists and fantasists on Twitter who, who make stuff up all the time. Whereas the arsenic guy just seems to to get information from, I don't know where the hell he gets it. It's like, well, in this obscure uh, Uruguayan uh, ladies magazine that's available only in one outlet in Montevideo, you know, the, the, there's an interview with Torreira's dad and I, somehow he manages to find the information. It's he's incredible. Got, yeah, the right keyword set up, I guess. And uh, fair play to him. He's finding that info. He's translating it. He's making sure it gets to the Arsenal fans. I mean, we haven't missed a beat of the Torreira deal, have we? We've been kept informed of it all the way along. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, credit to him. I just don't know if I've got, got the emotional energy to invest in that level of research anymore. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I know. I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. Still- but also, I quite enjoy personally. I mean, it, it tweets their own, but I, I quite enjoy. I kind of yearn for a surprise signing. I love it. I love it when I don't really know exactly what's going to happen, and it's nice to uh, to get the odd surprise here and there. Doesn't really happen anymore, does it? Because. No. You know, people talk all the time. They have these various platforms through which we can find out what's going on. You know, all of a sudden a player likes a picture on Instagram or starts following something on Instagram or his sister says something or, you know, some guy on LinkedIn becomes connected to a guy who wants new, you know, there's just an endless stream of channels through which this information can get into the public domain. Like, what's the last... Completely out of the blue signing Arsenal made that you can remember. I mean, the one that always springs to mind, I don't know if it's the most recent, is the Eduardo de yeah. Silva deal. Yeah. Because nobody saw that coming. Thierry Henry had left and there was, I remember, you know, every newspaper ran pieces saying like, you know, the five strikers Arsenal could target to replace uh, Henry. And Nicholas and Elka was actually featured pretty prominently. That's right, yeah. All, I remember that. those lists. Uh, and... Then this guy called Eduardo de Silva sort of appeared from the blue. And to be honest, I mean, I had no idea who he was. Um, so, yeah, that would be the most, that would be the one that's most obvious to me. I'm sure there have been others. Monreal, Nacho Monreal came a bit out of the blue transfer deadline day. But I think the reason we hadn't heard about it was because there was just simply nothing happening. It all mm. came together on deadline day. So it wasn't like there was weeks of speculation or there was an agent talking to someone on Twitter or whatever it is. There was uh, an injury, wasn't there? Was it Kieran Gibbs or Andre, Andre Santos? Andre, both, yeah, both of them got injured. So yeah, it necess- necessitated something quick. But uh, yeah, we, we live in this world of constant information. And for some people... Uh, they feel validated by um, the attention, I guess, that they get from Twitter or from uh, likes or retweets. Um, And they just claim to know stuff when actually they don't. They just make shit up or they take information from somebody else and present it uh, as their own. Um, Yeah. That is a strange pastime, I must admit. That is a very odd one. But, There's some uh, fucking mad cons out there, James. There That's are. what I mean, who down. knew? Who, who knew? <laughs> I always thought Twitter was this place, you know, this beacon, uh, this shining light of uh, civility mm. and uh, sharing. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, there you go. Um, I've got a question. Actually, I've got two questions. I'm going to ask them at the same time. The first one is from Goondock Saint on Twitter, who's at CNTR Mid, Centre Mid. And Goondock Saint says, what are the prospects for Maitland-Niles with the arrival of Torreira? 
And then as a follow-up question to that, B. Watkinson says, what does the reported signing of Matteo Guendouzi mean for our homegrown young midfielders like Maitland-Niles and Joe Willock? I think the prospects for Maitland-Niles are good because they've given him a new contract. They've given him... uh, you know, what you might consider a first-team squad number. He's number 15 now, isn't he? So uh, yeah. that shows that they really rate him and they want him to be part of the squad. So it was something I touched on in the blog today, actually, is that if you're going to bring in a player like Lucas Torreira and you're going to make him an integral part of the way that your team is set up and the way your team plays, you've also got to have somebody else who can do that job if he's not there, mm. right? So... um Maybe Maitland-Niles is the one earmarked for that role. That that makes a certain amount of sense, doesn't it? You could see him in that position. He's got the the athleticism. He seems to have the passing ability. If he can be coached on his defensive awareness, the tactical side of that position, he, he, he could fit it quite neatly. Yeah, for sure. So I think... Maitland-Niles will play quite a bit of uh, uh, first-team football next season. You know, he could be used... uh, We know he's versatile, so if there are issues at right-back or left-back, he could be used there. But I think he could be used as the the alternate to Lucas Torreira, but he could also play in the, the two ahead of him, I think, mm-hmm. uh, depending on, on the way Unai Emery sets up his team, which, again, we're only really guessing at at this moment in time. What does it mean for Joe Willock if we're bringing in this guy? Uh, what the hell is his name again? Gwendozy. 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 If we're bringing in him, I suspect it will mean a loan move for... For Joe Willock, because he is a central midfield player as well. He is at an age where I think he needs to play to develop. Uh, You know, he needs to develop a bit physically as well. He's quite slight at the moment. Uh, And we'll see how he goes on loan. You know, it doesn't close the door to him by any means, but it means that when he comes back to Arsenal after a season on loan, maybe two seasons on loan, then he's got to, you know, he's got plenty to get ahead. Uh, to get ahead of, I guess, if he wants to, if he wants to get into the team, but that's not necessarily a, a negative thing. It just is what it is. There should be competition, and it shouldn't be easy. So, you know, let him go off and play a couple of seasons on loan. Willock's only eighteen. You know, he could go away for two years and come back at twenty. Maitland Niles is only twenty. You know, it's still pretty young. So, um, it doesn't close the door on them, but they've obviously looked at what's below senior level at, at, at the central midfield area and decided we need something else. So that's why they're going to bring in the Guendouzi guy. And what do you think his immediate prospects are, Guendouzi? Do you think he'll be part of the first team squad? Do you think he'll be loaned out? What do you think will happen with him? I think he'll be part of the squad. Mm. Maybe a Europa League player or a Carabao Cup player for the first little while. Yeah. We've got a lot of football to play. We do have the Europa League. You know, last season was a, a bit of a drag um, physically because we had these two competitions, the Thursday-Sunday thing. We know how it goes. It is trying. And if we are going to get back into the top four, I think Unai Emery will... I think he'll approach it in pretty much the same way as Arsene Wenger did. Do you? Is like, that, you know, reserves for the group stages and then yeah. put the first team as in? Yeah, yeah. Keep your first team fresh for... For uh, for the Premier League, that's what I think he'll do. I think that's probably the sensible way to do it. Now, there are pros and cons to it, aren't there? Because you don't get the fluency and the 
you know, the midweek games that do help players reach their best form. You know, if you're playing in the Champions League, you're going to play your best team three times a week. Absolutely. You know, and that can help sometimes. But, you know, uh, the uh, the other side of that is you don't get the fatigue if you're doing it the way that we've done it uh, in the Europa League last season. So I think he's going to approach it in the same way. That's where I think chances for young players will come and for the fringe players as well to to uh, to force themselves into his thinking. What 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 happened last year, I think, was that nobody really did anything to force their way into the first team reckoning from the Europa League team. You know, I think the no. the division was too big. It was too obvious. I mean, Mayla Niles might be the exception, I, I guess, in that he ended up coming in at fullback, didn't he, in, in some of the league games. Yeah. But there was a big gulf. Um, uh, only really Mayla Niles and Elneny really ever looked like bridging that gap. Mm. Uh, Elneny, another contender potentially for that Torreira role as, you know, as a deputy. I think he also has the attributes to yeah. play that kind of deep line position. Here's a question from Peter Hust, Peter Hust, uh, who's at Peter Hust on Twitter. He says, you have to sell three players from the current first team squad. Who do you sell and why? Okay, are they being replaced or is it just three sales and that's it? Three sales and then you can do what you want with the money. You can have it all. You can keep the change and everything. Uh, Well, I would definitely sell uh, Ospina, I think because I, I just don't think there's a need for him in the current squad. And I think you'd get a little bit of money for him. I would sell Mustafi because I would then reinvest whatever I got for him in another centre-half. And then I think I would just sell Joel Campbell and just keep the cash and give any of that game time that might have gone his way to an Eddie Nketiah or, or a Reese Nelson. Mm. Who would be your three? I think Ospina is definitely one. Um, I'm a little torn on the Mustafi thing because I think there's such a dearth of good central defenders around. Yeah, fair. That you might find it difficult to replace him. But if I could sell Mustafi and bring in Pavard, for example, I would do that for sure. For the goal alone? Just for the goal don't care about his defending. I just want him to score that goal. Uh, but, you know, you look at the, the age profile of the defenders that we have, Chambers, Mavropanos, holding quite young early in their careers, uh, Socrates, Koscielny heading towards the end or the, the latter stages of their careers. So you do kind of need a guy in the middle. Mm. You need a guy in the middle of that, I think. And his age profile is such that, that he ticks that. And if you're going to give people a clean start, a fresh start, uh, under a new boss and hope that they can improve or be improved, then maybe he's one of those. I, I You know, I, I'm i not convinced that that's the case. But the other sale I would make is Danny Welbeck. I would okay. sell Danny Welbeck. And, and what would be the rationale there? Just because you want to recoup something instead of losing him on a free in 12 months' time? Yeah, I think you could get some decent money reasonable money you know you're selling could be a world cup winner yeah it could be well he's going to score the winning goal in the world cup final of course of course but i think you could get decent money for him from another premier league club he is in the final 12 months of his contract and i'm not sure that giving him a new contract is the right thing to do like i like danny welbeck he seems a really nice guy and he can be a very useful player at times, but I just wonder if 
we really, really want to improve, we could sell him and bring in somebody better. You know? Yeah, yeah uh, very possibly. And if you want that, if you want that third striker, uh, you can keep Lucas Perez in the squad, who's a decent player. I think Lucas Perez is a decent player, could be a decent squad player. Uh, you know, in the European games, in the cup games, you've got Obama Yang, you've got Lacazette, you've got Lucas Perez, three decent options, and you could perhaps spend some of the Welbeck money on another attacking player who could very well make us better and more effective in the final third. If if you if we work on the hypothesis that maybe we are gonna play some kind of diamond that allows us to play two up front with Aubameyang and Lacazette, do you need Welbeck and Perez as Backups? Do you need four experienced strikers in that context? I'm not sure. Are we going to play? I don't know. It's a complete guesswork on my part. It's not something Emery's done particularly in the past, as far as I understand it. Right. He's um, been a four-two-three-one guy. Right. So, are we going to go four-one-two-three? Is that what we're going to look at, or four-one-two-one-two-one-two-one-two? Well, this Seven, is it. We yeah. don't. We don't, we don't know. know. Um, I can see. I can see your argument for selling Welbeck, though. I do think English players always have a premium on them, seemingly irrespective of their contractual status. He's still quite young. I'm always surprised by how young Danny Welbeck is. He's still only 27. So presumably there'll be someone buying him, thinking I can get four years out of this guy. Yeah. Uh, so there, there probably would be a market within the Premier League. Um, and I think we're agreed on Mustafi and Espino. The, the the difficulty is the dearth of centre halves, like you say. I actually have always really liked Harry Maguire, but I think he's probably put about twenty million on his price tag this summer, especially being English. So. Yeah, yeah. Who's he? He's with Leicester, is it? Leicester. He's twenty five, and he's at Leicester, and I think he's he's just been very good there. But uh, I, I mean, you know what it's like with English players. I think you have to pay something absurd to get him out of there now. Yeah. Yeah, I think you would. I think all the uh, the stock of all the English players has has risen um, pretty high during this World Cup. Yeah, yeah. So, Daniel Levy delighted, presumably, with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so that's our who we'd sell. Uh, let's have a look what else we've got on the agenda. Well, I've got uh, one here. If you're not ready, oh, I have got one. Can I do this one first? Of course, of course. Very polite. Uh, Zach Harris on Twitter, at Zach Harris, but he's spelling Zach with two Cs at the end, right? no Ks. He says, does our lack of involvement at the World Cup, as compared to the other top six clubs, give us an advantage at the beginning of this season, especially in the first two matches? Um, I guess it depends how many Man City players are left at the World Cup and how many Chelsea players are left at the World Cup. Um mm. Well, I For mean, the first two games, who's De Bruyne, Hazard, De Bruyne. So De Bruyne, Hazard. Um, I'm just trying to think, actually. For who else is there? Company, obviously, is there with Belgium with uh, Sterling, mm. Stones, yeah. Walker. Ooh, uh, ooh, yeah. So City are missing quite a few, actually. So it might not be a bad time to play Manchester City, for sure. Yeah if they're missing those players, because I was really only thinking De Bruyne, and then it's like, oh, like a big chunk of their defence <laughs> is there too, yeah. and Raheem Sterling is one of their most uh, effective players as well. Fabian so. Delph is still there. Mm. Um, he's been involved with them quite a lot last season. So th- there's a, yeah, there's a, a fair chunk of there. For Chelsea... Kante. 
Kante, Cahill, Hazard. Hazard uh, is technically still a Chelsea player. I mean, Antonio Conte apparently is taking training there today, so God knows what's happening in that club. Yeah. Why? Well, uh, he was was he was expected to go, right? He was hugely expected to go, and Sari's... I mean, apparently is still expected to come in from Napoli, but it's a, a standoff, essentially, where uh, I don't think anyone wants to uh, make the first move. In, in, you know, no one wants to lose out on any money. Right, right. But anyway, so do you think that could be an advantage? Because really, for Arsenal, I mean, with the exception of Danny Welbeck, we should have something like a fully fully available squad. Yeah. I wonder will Mesut Ozil play because he will return late, whether he'd be involved. Terraria well maybe involved. as well. Terraria, yeah. You know, Granite Xhaka. Um, yeah. Look, it could be. It could be, but um, those sort of things fade away, don't they, pretty quickly as, as the season gets going. Yeah. Um, I think what is helpful is that the manager's got this opportunity over the next few weeks to work with the majority of the squad and whatever those his new ideas are that he wants to implement, uh, he has some time to do that. And I think that's how... I mean, we never had that many players at the World Cup compared to some of our rivals. Yeah, yeah, true, true, true. Okay, here is a question from Selbridge Gooner, who's at Selbridge Gooner. He says, which goalkeeper would you start versus Manchester City? Personally, whatever the doubts about Lino, Leno, he's the future, and I would start him. I, I see that argument, and I do think uh, it's a possibility. I personally would stick with Czech. Why? I don't think Czech was as bad as other people do last season. Right. Uh, I thought that he was uh, pretty good, actually, in the back end of the campaign. Ooh. No, uh, I can remember some some mistakes. He made lots of errors over the course of the campaign, but I just think there were games. <laughs> I mean, for example, I remember when it got to the Europa League. We all, well, not we all, a, a, a large majority of the Arsenal fan base, certainly the ones that I engage with, were hoping that Czech would be playing those matches. But is because- yeah, is that is that because of Czech or because of Ospina, though? You know, because of this. Because well, of Ospina, you, oh, well, are you basically. arguing for Lino? Is that what you would do? Well, what I'm saying is that, you know, I'm not sure I agree with you when you say he was good. You know, I I, you, he was good, but yeah, he made a lot of mistakes. No, he was a very good boy. I mean, he did kill a number of people in his class, but apart from that, he's a lovely child, you know. Well, I think he, from what we hear from Germany, he probably had about uh, as good a season as Lino. So it's not like Lino's coming in off the, the, the back of an extraordinary campaign and he's in the form of his life. Yeah. And I just worry a little bit about throwing him into the fray and the damage, you know, if he was to make a mistake early on, the damage that might do to him. I just feel like if he is the future, maybe it's partly about protecting him. Rather ah, than just that's, going, you know, f- no, fuck that. Fuck that. He's a £22.5 million pound goalkeeper. If he makes a mistake in the first game and, he, and it kills him, then fucking get rid of him. <laughs> that would be my thinking. Uh, but, yeah, but then you've just left with a £22 million investment that's, you know, yeah, sad. But, uh, but, but is he going to be, is he that, you know, he can't be that weak a character, can he? That one mistake is going to make, I mean, Petr Cech, do you remember his first game for us? Of course. So, but like, Petr Cech's a vastly experienced keeper, like, so, you know, so you would expect him Well, so is this guy, that. he's 26. 
you know, he's not a kid. He's 26 years of age. He's coming to a big club, uh, the most expensive goalkeeper we've ever signed, the mm. one for the future, clearly. And I, you know, I, I would be surprised if he didn't start, you know? Okay. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think, I think Czech will start, but, uh, and, and and I would probably be inclined to go that way too. Maybe it's right. just a bit of conservatism on my part. But maybe it will be Lino. I mean, it, it, it feels close. It feels like a close call. Mm. And I do think that Lino will be number one by the end of next season. But I am right. not convinced he will start it that way. Right. I just yeah. think if you bought, buy a player for, you know, even in this market, you know, £22.5 million for a goalkeeper is pretty expensive. Like what? What are the most uh, expensive goalkeepers of all time? So let's see. He's right up there. He's like number f- five or six or something. Really? Yeah, I I, I did research this uh, a few weeks ago because I was struck by the size of the fee, uh, and there aren't many. No. Uh, who have we got here? We've got Ederson. Yeah. Okay, Game. I think he could be. Yeah, Lino he, among top ten. So he, according to this list, he's joint sixth with David de Gea. The only goalkeepers who've ever cost more Buffon. are Manuel Neuer, Francesco Toldo, uh, Edison, Gianluigi Buffon, and of course Jordan Pickford. Right. So. It just strikes me that if you're making that kind of an investment in a player, you expect him to to be the number one. Like, what's the the equivalent signing? Um, let's say, uh, let's okay. say, you know, if we're talking about the most or the fifth most expensive striker of all time, right? Yeah. Let's say Arsenal bring in the fifth most expensive striker of all time. Do we? wonder whether or not he's going to be a starter. I don't think we do. No, but uh, uh, maybe if he was 19, and I, well, I appreciate that Lino is not 19. He is sort of 19 in goalkeeping terms. Do you know what I mean? Like he's How? still got 10 years <laughs> as a top goalkeeper. Okay. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so like there's time in theory. It's not like we, it's not like Aubameyang where he's 30 and it's like, if we don't play him now, He's not going to play for us, you know. I think, I think, I think that it's he's bought for him. He's bought for the next five years, but I'm not convinced that he'll play as number one next year. But yeah. I mean, I might be wrong. Okay, I'm sure you said the same when it first happened. I probably did, but I've you know I had time to reconsider my position here. Right. Okay. And I. But just what felt- about the number one shirt, Andrew? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know. They've given him number nineteen, which is pretty crap, isn't it, for a goalkeeper? I guess. I mean, it's an you know, it's Gilberto's old number, so I'll always have a bit of affection for it on that on that front. But yeah, I, I think what is what is the best alternative number for 11. a goalkeeper? Eleven. Eleven. Yeah. <laughs> it's and that's free. free. It is free. Yeah. Eleven, or you know, if you're a goalkeeper, you could just call it one t one. Yeah, one t one. Do you think? Uh, anyone will take the number 11 shirt now that Mesut Ozil's finally moved to number 10? Um, um, yes, yeah, someone. Someone. I don't know who. Some lucky boy. Maybe the new guy, 
piss off you bastard. Maybe he'll take it. Piss off you bastard. He's actually going to wear piss off you bastard on the back of his shirt. <laughs> That's how he prefers to be known. Uh, here's a bit of breaking news for you. Jack Wilshire has signed for West Ham. I find that a bit sad, to be honest. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> yeah. I, I, no dis- I mean, yeah, no, actually, disrespect intended to West Ham. I just feel like... I, you know, in my heart, I sort of thought maybe he'd go to some glamorous location or somewhere where uh, it just feels like such a mid-table move, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It tells you a lot about Jack's standing and mm. where he's been in the last couple of years, you know? What about all those private jets that were coming from Turkey? Yeah. I mean, I went to Turkey to welcome Jack and he didn't even D- turn up. Oh, did you have a good kebab? I had an excellent kebab, actually. I had mag- I had more than one. I had more than one. Um, it was great. Mm. It was great. But I mean, yeah, the Jack news. I mean, good luck to him. I say, good luck. Yeah, I, I say, good luck to him. I say, good luck to him. Is is there some story that his family are West Ham fans originally as well? Something his like that. Dad's a West Ham fan, I believe. Yeah, so yeah. they're going nice. to spend some money apparently, West Ham. So maybe they will be a bit more of a force next season. I'm just always very dubious of of the West Ham project. Yeah. I guess they're just going to bring in players so the fans don't try and kill them anymore. Of course. The board, I mean, you know, the the directors, because there were some uh, fairly ugly scenes at the the London Stadium last season, which I, for one, would like to see repeated again this season, uh, just (laughs) because it was pretty fucking hilarious. I mean, this Lino thing, just to come back to it, should we have some sort of wager? On if he starts against Man City, I don't know what we could put on the line. I will. I will. Uh, I'm going to Spain in September. Okay. And if uh, if, if, if if check starts, you you'll cancel your holiday. <laughs> no, I won't do that. But I will. I will bring you back a bag of ham on ruffles. How about that? Bag of ham on ruffles on the line. Okay, fine. And if I uh, if Lino starts. I will have to go to Spain <laughs> to get you some ham on ruffles. No, no, no. Go to go to Istanbul and bring me back uh, a very nice kebab. Okay, I'll round put it trip. In my hand you luggage. could do you could do it in a day. Surely, flight from London to Istanbul, Istanbul to Dublin. I'll meet you at the airport. Make it handy for you. Okay, I'll see if I can keep it warm. <laughs> All right. Well, look, we'll, we'll see that. Um, do we have any more questions? No, we don't have a we don't have um, any announcement yet for for our signings. So no. The, I mean, the minute we West finish, Ham announcing things, we, and yet we wait. The, the wait m- goes on. The minute we finish this uh, podcast, they're going to. Oh, do. look, there you go. Uh, I mean, I sound like one of those crazy stalker people telling you about a flight path, but uh, Jack Wilshire's mum has just tweeted a picture of a young Jack, a very young Jack, I'd say, probably under 10 in a West Ham shirt. So he's finally got the move of his dreams. Why are you following Jack Wilshire's mum? I, I can't talk about that. <laughs> no, I I, um, I don't know. I don't know, but I am following Jack Wilshire's mum. Right. That's weird. Not, not on the streets. No, I know, I know, I know, I know. Uh, I think it was probably from about 10 years ago when Jack was breaking into the Arsenal team and, like, I was, you know, she would post things of, like, good luck today, Jack, and I'd be like, Jack Wilshire's going to start. I was one of those guys. I right. was one of those guys. I was the, the original scary stalker. Right, right. Okay. Fair enough. 
Fair enough. Well, well done to uh, Jack Wilshere. Good luck to him, uh, particularly in the games against Tottenham, because there is a a little bit of uh, f- history there, isn't there, between uh, West Ham and Tottenham? Not quite mm. the same as ours, but they don't like each other one bit. And obviously, Jack Wilshere would uh, enjoy. Um, well, certainly the West Ham fans would enjoy Jack Wilshere sticking it to Spurs next season as much as we would. So good luck to him there, apart from when he uh, he faces us. Um, final question for today comes from Gareth Druce, who's at Gareth Druce. And uh, this is uh, advice he's looking for here, James. Go he on. says, I've come into the possession of one small bag of ham on ruffles. Is this a bowl or eat out of the bag affair? Should I enjoy these crisps with a glass of fine Spanish wine or a Pepsi? How should I proceed? Or am I overthinking this? I think, well, I mean, I, 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 you probably are overthinking it, given that we're now discussing it on a podcast. But I would say, I would say go with the bag. You know, it's it's a good size usually for the for the hands. If you don't finish the whole packet, and believe me, you will, you can kind of roll up the, the end of it. And enjoy them with Spanish Rioja, maybe. I think that'd be a lovely combination. Yeah, certainly better than Pepsi. No, don't bother with Pepsi. Who's yeah. drinking Pepsi? Anyway? Whoever drinks Pepsi. It's weird. It's just like, I think it's weird, Pepsi. I, I agree with you. I mean, what would you say, bag or bowl? Bag. People yeah. who put fucking crisps in bowls should be shot. Really? <laughs> What if it's like an occasion and like you've got guests around and then it's just fine. put out some crisps? Then it's fine. Okay, that's all right. But if you if if you go home with a bag of crisps and you put the crisps in a bowl to eat the crisps out of the bowl, then there's yes, something it's really not wrong cereal, with cereal, guys. Yeah, exactly. It's only for sharing. Crisps in a bowl are only when you're going to share. But if you're just going to eat a bag of crisps, just the bag. I think, and you've got to be sharing more than two people. I think two people can share a bag of crisps, really. Yeah. You need a bowl for that. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I'm I'm on, I'm on board with that, for sure. Thank God. I'm glad we came back together to agree on something. Otherwise, it would be a really weird podcast. It would be a disaster, wouldn't it? We got there in the end, though. Ham on Ruffles bringing us all together, as they always do with their majestic power of, of love and um, humanity. Beautiful. Did you see uh, in Turkey, the Ruffles have got Lionel Messi on them? Oh, I did see that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I posted that on my Instagram. I mean, it's presumably themed for the World Cup, little Leo Messi flavour. <laughs> I don't know what that would taste like. Did they, Grizzly. Did, they had ham on ruffles in uh, Turkey, did they? No, they didn't have ham on. They have like, they do have like uh, sort of kebab flavoured crisps. Oh. Uh, yeah, like sort of kofta inspired uh, crispies, which were delicious. Right. But uh, not ham on. Okay. No. Okay. Alas. And a lack. So I have to wait till September to get my winnings. Yeah, winning. <laughs> All right. Well, look, we'll mark that down in the diary. Um, thanks to everyone for listening. As always, really appreciate it. Remember, if you want to give us a rating or review on iTunes, that'd be absolutely swell. Also, uh, we're uh, very happy to finish this podcast now because uh, that will make Arsenal sign Lucas Torreira and uh, what piss off you bastard. Um, yeah. Absolutely imminent. I can't remember uh, that guy's name. Gwen Doozy. Gwen, Gwen Doozy. Gwen Doozy. Exactly. Gwen Doozy. Uh, and also it means I can open my window, which will be great because I'm I'm wet through, yeah. to be honest with you. <laughs> yes. It's a moist end to the podcast. It All is right. very moist. Very yeah. moist. Okay. Uh, thanks as ever. We'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 